Welcome to Down with the Dig. I'm Shella. And I'm Matt. This is a podcast presented by the Ohio Laborers Union to keep you connected to your labor family. This is Down with the Dig. You know, Shella, we talk a lot on here about COVID and how it impacts the construction industry. And we even dedicated a whole episode to what COVID is with Travis Parsons. But we want to dig a little deeper today and talk about how laborers and contractors are impacted by the coronavirus. And I think it's great to have a part two about this because um, it's, it's important. It's important for our members. It's important for their families. And it's important to keep our construction industry moving along as this pandemic continues to develop. Moving along, but safely. That's correct. Previously, we had on Travis Parsons, the Associate Director of Occupational Safety and Health for the Labor's Health and Safety Fund of North America, and he was a wealth of information about coronavirus or COVID-19, and we wanted to have him back to, to delve even deeper into it and what it means to the construction industry. So, Travis, welcome back. Thank you. Happy to be here. Let's talk about the construction industry and how COVID directly impacts the laborers that are out there working in the field today. Okay. Um, So fortunately, uh, I think we've been lucky a little bit. But so the nature of our work up until now, most of construction is done outdoors. So what we have when we're we're doing outdoor work is we have a natural ventilation, the wind, the air. Um, You know, we don't have to be indoors with the the ventilation HVAC system, HVAC system like an indoor operation like general industry. So construction, uh, we haven't experienced a whole lot of major outbreaks that doesn't mean that it's we're not susceptible to it. And we're also, the construction industry is used to protocols. We're used to wearing face coverings and other forms of PPE, even though face coverings not considered PPE. We're used to wearing respirators. We're used to having protocols to follow for safety and health on a job. So we're outdoors. We have a lot of what they call natural ventilation, which is just the open air. We, we're naturally social distancing from each other at work. There's some job tasks that require you to work within six feet. We can handle those on a risk control basis. So I, I think construction industry as a whole has been somewhat lucky, but now I think that may change here in the future as the months get colder. And, and we're talking about Ohio here. It definitely gets cold in Ohio. And what happens when it gets colder? Uh, some of the work is forced to go indoors, even though it's construction, it goes more and more indoors. How are we going to keep people warm? The workers are going to seek warmth. As we push indoors, I'm more concerned about we're losing some of those um, inherent protections of natural air. So we got to think about that as we go inside. But on the whole, construction has done a very good job. I got to applaud our contractors. They've hit this head on. I think the nature of the, the business, we're used to safety and health um, problems on the job and hazards. So it wasn't that big of a deal for us to follow the right protocols. You know, these, these ways of exposure, we've heard all that as a construction worker. So, you know, so far, so I don't want to say good, but better than a lot of other occupations. What are some of the responsibilities of the employer to help protect their workers when when they're dealing with the COVID on the job site? All right. So when it gets down to it, it's it's always the responsibility of the employer to provide a healthy and safe work environment from known or anticipated hazards. Well, in this circumstance, we obviously know about COVID. We know it's a hazard. It's out there. We're trying to control it. So it's, it's the employer or the contractor's responsibility to provide a safe and healthy work site. Plain and simple. That's called the general duty clause. They call it 5A1 of the OSH Act from 1970. That's with all hazards. And, and in particular, we're talking about COVID. 
Now, Ohio is a what they call a federal state when it comes to OSHA. It's about 50-50 down the split on state OSHA programs versus federal OSHA programs. So every contract in Ohio has to follow federal OSHA regulations and guidelines and, and recommendations out there. So right now, federal OSHA does not have a standard. It doesn't have, there's no federal standard for COVID or infectious disease. They're relying on best practices, the general duty clause that I just mentioned, and existing um, regulations. Personally, professionally, I don't necessarily agree with that, but it is what it is, and that's what we got in different states. Now, remember, OSHA regulations are the law, and CDC guidelines are, are recommendations. They are not the law. They are just guidelines. They are the minimum to follow on a job site. So a lot of people work on compliance, and that's just the nature again. But they are the minimum you got to do as a contractor. So I, at a minimum, follow CDC guidelines, not rules and regulations. They're just guidelines. OSHA regulations that from the federal level. Um, any other regulations from reputable sources, such as um, National Institute of Environmental Health Sciences, work with your local health departments. I can't stress that enough when it comes to infections and, and things like public health. Work with your local health departments in Ohio. Also, another very reliable source for protocols and practices is universities. Uh, universities are very reputable. They do a lot of the research. They put out a lot of good protocols. And one, um, I looked this up before this call, um, Ohio, the back-to-school message is, is pretty cool that Mike Devine put out. Um, back up, wash up, mask up. So that those three things, you know, people like slogans. That's a great slogan, and it's in, in a good order. So back up, social distance, physical distance. Wash up, practice your hygiene, whether it's cleaning surfaces or washing your hands. And at the, at the last resort, mask up, wear your face coverings, wear your respirators where necessary. And if you want a couple of examples outside of Ohio, there have been a couple state programs, OSHA programs, have taken the bull by the horn, so to speak, and they've written or formed their what they call emergency temporary standards for, for, for COVID. Virginia was the first one, and also nearby, uh, your rival Michigan. Um, so uh, Michigan just last week came out with uh, what they call – Wait, wait just a second. Is he allowed to say that word? <laughs> they, came out with, uh, they came out with emergency temporary standard uh, of protocols and, and, and stuff to follow. So if you want an example as a contractor, we also have a lot of examples here at the Health and Safety Fund I think we're going to talk about later in this podcast. And um, so there's a lot of resources out there. Um, go get them. I think a lot of construction contractors and safety people in the, in the industry already know where they exist. Just follow those protocols. And fortunately, again, I think the construction industry was already following a lot of these to start with. But remember, the last thing is OSHA regulations and laws and CDC guidelines are just minimums. Travis, you played a large role in pushing for and adopting the first emergency standard for COVID-19 in the country. Can you talk about that? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, in the state of Virginia, I was uh, fortunate to, I've been fortunate to serve on a board. In the state of Virginia, they have a state OSHA program that I discussed a little bit earlier, the difference on a state program versus a Fed program. It's a, it's a board comprised of 14 members. It's a, a gubernatorial appointment, so you're appointed by the governor, and it's four years at a time. So that it's, a, it's a very diverse board of labor, consultants, state officials, industry folks, and other subject matter experts. Like, for example, uh, health department folks were involved in our uh, COVID response and uh, emergency temporary standard in Virginia. So what that board does in the state of Virginia is what their state OSHA program, they, uh, they uh, 
adopt, alter, amend, and repeal any rules and regulations pertaining to OSHA and Virginia. And in Virginia, they call that VOSH, V-O-S-H, and then it's operated under DOLI. That's the Department of Labor and Industry, just like the DOL for, for feds. So working with DOLI, that board basically passes, essentially they are the body that establishes Virginia Occupational Safety and Health regu- Regulations and Standards. So a- any standard that happens in the state of Virginia goes through that board. Um, <clears throat> so what what I was involved with, uh, so I've been on this board for about six, seven years, so I'm on my second uh, four-year appointment right now. And uh, it's been really interesting and exciting working on this board, especially during these times. So we really ramped up. I'm really proud to say that Virginia was the first state to have the emergency temporary standard. Uh, the governor, Ralph Northam, is, is a medical doctor. I don't know if that had anything to do with it, but he, he had some foresight. And with, with lack of a federal regulation, Virginia stepped up to help protect workers in the state of Virginia. We had uh, a bunch of meetings virtually. We had four full day meetings. We, rever- we reviewed no shortage of 10, 15 different drafts. And as far as myself, um, there, I worked with uh, several labor, labor allies and counterparts and offered several amendments to those drafts to the proposed rule to strengthen worker, worker protections. And I think we really got a strong rule in Virginia to help protect workers and also what I'll call level the playing field for expectations. So now we have a clear, cl- clear cut rules on what contractors should expect when they go to work. So it kind of levels the playing field for everybody, both workers and, and employers. Coming into 2020, I don't think a lot of people knew what the acronym PPE stood for, but certainly it's become a much more commonplace uh, to everyone, right? Personal protective equipment. Yes. Um, what type of PPE are we really talking about? Is it just masks and gloves or are there other things? So let me just talk about this a little bit. And it's funny because it is a little bit of a tongue twister. Um, yeah, personal protective equipment. And personal protective equipment, and when we're talking about COVID, is, is more like a, a respirator, uh, aprons, uh, coveralls, you know, gloves, stuff like that. That's all considered personal protective equipment. Now, when we talk about face coverings, that is not labeled as personal protective equipment. What that is, is that is a public health measure that is source control. So basically, face coverings protect everyone else from you. So if you're sick, the face covering keeps that those different aerosols that we we're talking about and the large droplets from spreading in the air. It's not perfect, but it helps. So that's all face coverings are. Now, when it gets into the world of PPE or personal protective equipment, we're talking about respirators or, in particular, N95 respirators, which, unfortunately, because of this, there's a large shortage of N95 respirators in our industry. Um, So that's what we're talking about when we talk about PPE in the construction industry. And there's a lot of confusion there. You know, face masks are not PPE, but they are a good source control that we do recommend. So it's all about that six-foot rule. So the, the reason a six-foot foot rule, like I talked about earlier, is an operational definition. And the reason it exists is because those large particles fall down. So if you're outside of that six foot of another coworker, a vendor, a, a somebody from the public, whatever, you're pretty much going to be in a risk profile that you should be wearing at least maybe a face covering. As you get farther away, maybe you don't have to be wearing much at all. But a face covering will help you outside of that six foot. The question lies and when we get in inside the six foot. So at a minimum, you should have a face covering on within that six foot. 
I personally would like to take it a step further and recommend N95 respirators. Now, we're unfortunately experiencing a shortage in our country of N95 respirators. And I, I would hope that as months go on, and as this virus sticks around, that we will be better at that and we'll be producing more N95s available to all workers, not just healthcare workers. I agree with the shortage that we should save them for the healthcare workers that are treating infected patients, but we should protect all workers. And if you're working within six foot, I would recommend an N95 as a, a gold standard. And if you can't get your hands on an N95, by all means, as a minimum, wear a face cover. So I don't know if it helps clear up the mud a little bit, but it gets down to distance is your friend. Stay farther away, the better. Stay out of crowds. Practice proper hygiene. And then also wear your face coverings when you're on site facing each other, coworkers, whether it's the public, vendors, or coworkers. And one thing I need to remind everybody in the world of occupational safety and health, PPE is what they call the last resort of protection. So what I mean by that is in the hierarchy, you can always eliminate something. If you can't eliminate something, you try to uh, cover it up, essentially. So you have elimination at the top of the hierarchy of controls. Then you have engineering controls, which are things like ventilation, uh, you know, barriers. Uh, you, you see all kinds of barriers on job sites. Those are uh, engineering controls. Then you have what they call administrative controls. That's more like work practices and worker training, you know, social distancing, keeping separated. That's one of the more administrative controls. Staggering work shifts, administrative controls. And at the very bottom of that hierarchy of controls is PPE. And the reason it's at the bottom is that's, uh, that's our last resort of protection from a hazard. And in this case, the hazard is COVID. Well, shouldn't you have like eye coverings too, since it can be spread? That's a very good point. Um, that is a source can, uh, of spread in the eyes. Um, so eye coverings are, are, you know, some kind of face shield with a respirator or, or face covering. Some kind of goggles or eye coverings are definitely um, something you want to consider, especially if you're working closer than six feet together. Do you feel like that because of COVID-19, the use of PPE will be different in the future? Absolutely. Yes. Yes. I I call that if there there is any silver lining. um, Yes. I think hygiene practices are going to be better in the construction industry. I think a proper use and more use of appropriate PPE is going to be more prominent in the construction industry. Absolutely. Talking about masks, it's not just enough to wear one, right? You have to wear it properly. I mean, an N95 mask won't protect you if it's not sealed properly on your face, correct? Yes, absolutely correct. And that is one of the major differences between what we call an N95 FFR, which is a filtering face respirator, and the face coverings or the homemade coverings is the fit factor, they call it. So to get the, the N95 um, you know, 95% protection, you need a good fit and a good seal, they call it. So N95s can be fit and sealed, and then face coverings cannot. But it is still important for face coverings to fit as well as you can get them. Right. I, I go to the grocery store and whatnot. I see people wearing masks. It's below their nose. That doesn't really help, correct? Doesn't help at all. Yeah. You need to cover <laughs> your nose fully, your mouth fully, and, and ha- try to get some kind of seal almost around your cheeks. My uh, husband, he's always scared when we fly, and we were on a flight. My daughter is going to have a baby, so flew down to Florida, and he so he has to take something to fly. And I looked over, 
he was asleep and his mask was clear up on his forehead. <laughs> I thought, yeah, that's that's not doing its job. <laughs> so I pulled it down. <laughs> Let's talk about the Laborers Health and Safety Fund of North America. What is the Occupational Safety and Health Division doing for Lyona signatory contractors and the members? Well, we've done a lot. Uh, starting with, uh, we have a website dedicated with a bunch of materials that we put together for our contractors out there and to protect our members. Uh, we there's a plethora of materials online that we've developed that we have an actual website dedicated to that. We also work entirely with the CDC nationally with OSHA and the FDA and all other health and safety counterparts for better protection for workers, just like we did in Virginia with the emergency temporary standard. We're answering questions and concerns from contractors. We get a lot of phone calls from contractors about how to protect our members and what protocols, just like we're asking on this call. So, we're working day and night, and we have a lot of resources on there. And it's it's a little bit of a tongue twister, but I'll, I'll try to say my our website. It's um, www.lhsfna.org, and that stands for Labor's Health and Safety Fund of North America. So, again, www.lhsfna.org, and up in the left-hand corner, upper left-hand corner, there's a COVID link. And if you go to that page, that's a living page. We update update that page with the, the new technologies and the new science, which we try to provide assistive materials for our contractors and our members to use out there. So if you're involved with this, keep checking that page. It changes uh, sometimes daily, and we keep updating stuff as the science comes out. So we've done a lot on that with resources. Again, we work with our members, our contractor partners, and we're constantly pushing federal OSHA, state OSHA, EPA, anybody that regulates the work site, we're constantly pushing for better protection for workers. And we'll make sure we put the website in the notes to this uh, podcast. So check there if you miss that website. You mentioned in Ohio, a lot of the construction going into the winter months will be going indoors. Are there any machinery or any type of air purifiers or air cleaners that can be used in an indoor setting that'll help mitigate that spread of the coronavirus? Yes, they call it negative air, which I don't know if any workers have ever been on an asbestos job or, or ICRO, uh, infection control risk assessment process, like I talked about earlier. But if you are pushed inside and working indoors and you can control the air and clean it with, with these uh, these cleaners, with HVA, uh, you know, HVA systems and cleaners, Absolutely, by all means, clean that air to help protect the workers. So for the workers that can't move indoors but are still able to work in the winter, they're probably going to you know, put on a ski mask or some kind of face covering already. Will that help or do they need to layer like a neck gaiter in there as well? Well, what I would say to that is that's better than nothing, just like the face coverings that exist today. So yes, it may help a little bit. It may help with the spread. It definitely would help with you spreading the virus to others if you're infected. But it's by no means an N95 respirator, which is proven control against the virus. So I would categorize anything like that that covers the mouth and nose as another face covering. Now, what about if you're outside working and you get snow or ice on that ski mask and you get home and that thaws? Is If the coronavirus has attached itself there, is that a live virus? That's a very interesting question, and it might be. You know, If that virus has remained infectious through that freezing process and it didn't get killed during that, it could very well, you could accidentally take it home as long as it's a viable virus still and, and it's still alive and infectious. I really don't think the science is there yet on that one. That's a good maybe research question that I can ask people. Now, when it comes to heat, you know, you may have heard about uh, the common flu or seasonal flu. 
doesn't like warm weather. That's absolutely true with the flu, but it's another difference between COVID and the flu. Obviously, COVID doesn't care about heat. COVID uh, does die in extreme heat circumstances, but those are circumstances that are way above and beyond our normal atmosphere. So it has been proven that it dies in really extreme heat temperatures. But when it comes to the cold, uh, that's a really good question, and maybe we need more science on that. Do you think that mask wearing will just become the new normal? Not talking construction. We're just talking about the general population, you know, going to the grocery store, going to a ball game. Do you see this as something that will kind of stick down the road for people that may be concerned about not a coronavirus, but maybe a flu or a cold or anything like that? Do you see this as maybe something that is just going to be a new normal for us? Yeah, so this is just my opinion. I don't know if it'll become a new normal. Uh, per se, but I definitely think it's going to be more prevalent during seasonal flus uh, and then during as long as COVID exists at the level it exists now. So while people are fearful, fearful of getting the flu or COVID or any kind of virus that's spreading during a pandemic, absolutely. This has already happened in other countries uh, like Asia, for example. What if I'm not feeling right, but I don't feel really bad? How important is it that I tell my supervisor or when do I tell my supervisor? Right away, um, especially if you have what they call a couple telltale signs, a dry cough, not a productive cough or a fever. Um, almost every COVID patient that shows up at the, the hospital or public health department or whatever has those two symptoms. So right away, if you have symptoms of anything that you consider, you should tell your supervisor and go seek health care professionals. Either go to the public health department, go to your, your general practitioner, just go get um, help. And they'll test you and then they'll, they'll determine whether you need to be tested for COVID or not. That was more great information from Travis today about coronavirus. We appreciate you listening today. If you have any questions for us or if you want to have show suggestions, please email us at talk at downwiththedig.com. And remember to like us, share us. Subscribe to us and tell all your friends. Thanks for joining us today. Be safe out there. Well, now you're up to date. Views and comments expressed on this podcast may not be those of Ohio Labor's District Council or LIUNA. Thanks for listening and let's be careful out there.